following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Herfman. Uh, His Highness the Jackal. The Jackal. I'm going to pass the reins to Mr. Jackal, the new king of Virginia. I think Jackal's a Latino. I'm not sure, but he'll give it to you again. The Jackal. Welcome one, welcome all, welcome friends, welcome foes to another exciting episode of Inside the Jackal's Head. I am your host, Angel Espino, a.k.a. The Jackal, and welcome to this uh, very first episode, January 23rd, 2022, and yes, I am live. This is the first show of the year, and I am so excited to be here with you live in the flesh. We're not ghostly uh, coming to you from another realm. This is me still living, even though we're all just given a short time on this earth. And with the global pandemic, who knows when our time's up. So whatever time we have left in the present, we have to acknowledge that it's a gift. So keep enjoying it, my friends. With me tonight, I have a fantastic guest joining me at the 11 o'clock hour, actually about 20 minutes before we go on break, Ms. Timmis, uh, and I'm going to probably butcher it at some point, but you know, this is what I do, uh, Nicholas Jacoby, or Jacoby, Jacoby, Nicholas, Nicholas, Michaelis, we'll find out soon, I'm going to ask him exactly how he pronounces, Nicholas Jacoby is what I'm going with, and uh, he's brought to me by a very fine gentleman himself, a disco dancing king and the only person that I know who's actually in the Guinness books of world records. That's why my good friend and comrade in the arms, Mr. Paul Dale Roberts, uh, suggested this gentleman months ago, and I'm so happy to have him on. And I want to thank Paul for uh, introducing me to uh, Mr. Jacoby. And uh, this is going to be a fascinating show. We're going to talk about his life and uh, his story and uh, everything that he is about in about, like I said, 30, 40 minutes around there when I hit break. A lot's happened since the last time I've joined you. Uh, we, of course, were live back in October with uh, Gabriel Wijas and uh, Daryl Neely of uh, Jern and uh, Danny Benton, uh, who's one of the producers here on PSN Radio. And a uh, lot's happened since then. I took some time off. Uh, because I, uh, you know, got a little sick and I had to deal with some family issues plus some surgery, which wasn't fun. But I'm still alive and well, and I am COVID-free. Still haven't taken my shots, no boosters, no nothing, and I'm still alive and kicking. So what doesn't uh, kill me should not worry you, considering all the health issues I've faced over the last few years. But you know what? To each his own. Unlike the commander in Sniffler and Thief, as I like to call him, Joe Biden, I would not mandate my audience to take a jab or to wear masks. You do what you want to do. It's your life. It's your body. It's your choice. With that said, you know, there is a lot happening in the news that I'm going to go over and cover uh, before we hit the uh, break and get the guest on. Um, A lot of entertainment stuff's been happening, a lot of stuff within the world of politics, of course, have been happening, and uh, we are covering it all right here on PSN Radio. PublicStreamingNetwork.com is the website if you guys want to go and check out the uh, podcast that uh, 
Well, if you're really listening, then you know how to listen, right? I mean, you you know where you're at. You can either be at publicstreamingnetwork.com or psn-radio.blogspot.com or my personal website, angelespino.com. No matter how you get here, where you come from, or who you are, you're welcome to uh, join in every week as I bring to you nothing but pure, solid news and the truth and just uh, you know some of the best interviews on the Internet. And uh, Nicholas Jacoby promises uh, to be just that. I mean, I was looking over his info uh, this past week, just trying to, you know, make sure I know a little bit about the guy. And let me tell you, there's a lot of correlations between me and him. And uh, I'm really excited about having him on. It's nothing like you're probably going to ever hear on this show. It's uh, definitely unique to our our little uh, niche on the radio. Uh, But it's really, really cool stuff. Um, You know, there's a lot that's been going on. I know a lot of you have uh, been following me on uh, Rabbit Punch uh, with uh, my good friends, uh, Spud Goodman and uh, Gerald Holcomb. And TJ, the producer, shout-outs to them. Uh, unfortunately, I'm no longer on Rabbit Punch. Uh, I had to, like, step away from that show uh, for personal reasons. Uh, but I wish them all very, very well. And, uh, you know, they're still uh, on PSN Radio as the Spud Goodman show still airs on the network. And, uh, you know, we're big fans of Spud. We love Spud Goodman. And, uh He's a great guy, so uh, nothing but love uh, for him. I've gotten a lot of emails uh, over the last few weeks asking, when is the next episode dropping? What's going on? Unfortunately, there won't be a next episode, as, like I said, we're no longer doing Rabbit Punch, um, as I had to step away from the uh, show itself, uh, which is sad. But, you know, this is life. This is what life brings you. Uh, hopefully, Spud's doing well, and uh, hopefully he's taking care of, uh, you know. I know that the, the the virus can hit anybody at any time. So hopefully they're all, uh, you know, virus-free and uh, doing very well health-wise over on his show. And uh, I look forward to listening to a lot more Spud Goodman shows. So shout-outs to him. Shout-outs to, of course, uh, Paul Dill Roberts, like I said earlier. And uh, I wanted to start off with uh, just uh, some very sad news uh, that's been happening uh, since the beginning of this month. And, uh, you know, every year we have, of course, uh, a lot of celebrities and people that we know and love leave us uh, for the greater pastures, as they say. Uh, But this year has been really a tough one. As we've had, you know, already in only the first uh, 23 days, some really, really big names pass away. Now, the last day of last year of 2021, the amazing Betty White left the planet. She passed away at the age of 99. And uh, it was shocking for a lot of people. You know, we loved Betty White, um, the last of the Golden Girls. uh, And... Man, what a terrible loss. Uh, so 2021 was not a good year for celebrity uh, passing away, but 2022 is looking like it's going to start off in a horrible, tragic way, and it's attacking comedy, music, I mean, movies, you know, like, uh, like you know, some of the, the names that I, I've loved for a long time. 
Uh, I started off on January uh, 9th with uh, Bob Saget passing away. And uh, Bob Saget, you're probably thinking, wait a second. Isn't that Danny Tanner from Full House? Yes, that is Danny Tanner from Full House. The father of the uh, show Full House passed away. And, uh, you know, what really is sad about it, uh, I don't think there's been a determination yet of what he died of. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't looked in the last couple of days. But uh, from what I do know, there was no drugs or alcohol found in the system. So it wasn't related to that kind of stuff. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with with uh, Bob Saget, not only was he the father of Full House, he was an extremely funny stand-up comedian, and I've uh, followed his work for over 30 years in stand-up comedy, as I myself love comedy, and uh, just an amazing com- comedian, and uh, to not have him around, considering how much I love comedy and how much I loved watching him do a stand-up, really hurts i mean the guy was a fantastic fantastically funny guy so uh, you know that started off a horrible trend which doesn't look like it's uh easing up after we lose him uh a great actor who was very underrated very unknown in the u.s uh gaspard ulio uh passed away on january 19th just a few days ago and for those of you who might not know who he is, he's actually a part of the uh, the new the new movie uh, Moon Knight, which is going to debut. It's an MCU uh, movie, and uh, he's also the guy who played young Hannibal Lecter on the Hannibal Rising movie. Fantastic French actor, and uh, he died in a key uh, a, a skiing accident, and uh, just a tragic loss for him and his family. Um, Really sad, sad, uh, you know, stuff. He was only 37 uh, when he died. And, again, a very underrated actor. Uh, fantastic in Hannibal Rising. If you guys never seen that movie, uh, make it a, you know, a popcorn night. Watch it. It's a great movie. I really loved his acting in it. I thought it was going to be just one of uh, Hollywood's next big breakout foreign actors. And uh, he was kind of making those steps a little bit later, you know, after that movie came out a few years ago. But I think Moon Rising would have, or uh, Moon Knight, sorry, would have been a big step in that direction. So rest in peace to him also. And just, uh, man, three days ago, after that, you know, horrible loss, we lost Michael Lee Adday, better known to most of you out there as the legendary pop icon Meatloaf. Meatloaf passed away at age 74. And for those uh, youngsters who are not uh, aware of who Meatloaf is, he had uh, one of the biggest songs uh, in the history of my youth. And uh, it was, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And if you have not heard that song, when the show is over, check it out. It's a fantastic song. So we lost Meatloaf, and uh, just uh, a couple of days ago, we lost another comedy icon, Legend, somebody who I've known about since I was, you know, maybe seven years old, uh, who stand up, uh, still holds up to today. I mean, this guy was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. He's done stand-up for many years, appeared in movies with Eddie Murphy. He's an Emmy Award-winning actor, comedian. Died at the age of 68, 
I'm talking about Louis Anderson, folks. Louis Anderson is gone. And it just feels like the world's a lot less funnier without Louis Anderson and Bob Saget in it. It just, it, and Betty White also. It just feels really sad right now to lose these uh, comedic icons. Uh, in fact, I was checking out YouTube when I heard about Louis passing away. And um, not only, you know, to go back to Spud, by the way, Louis Anderson had been on Spud's show several times. And uh, Louis and Bob Saget, who did a lot of stand-up stuff together over the years, uh, they came up together doing stand-up. Uh, so it's kind of ironic that they passed away in the same month within a, a few days of each other. But there's actually an interview where Bob Saget interviewed Louis Anderson it's on YouTube. It's a brilliant interview. Uh, these two had tremendous chemistry. It's a shame they never worked together on film or on TV or anything because they really had great chemistry together, and I would love to have seen them uh, do some work together. But now they're both gone within days of each other, and, and that's kind of weird. But, um, but what's even stranger is they, Bob Saget interviewed Louie, and then they're both you know just out of here. Um, so again, this month did not start well for Hollywood. Uh, you know, we've lost uh, a few key celebrities. So rest in peace to those icons. Once again, uh, just sad, sad, sad stuff. Bob Saget, just, just Bard, Lou Leal, Meatloaf, and Louis Anderson. All rest in peace. And with that news out of the way, that sad, tragic intro to the show, uh, I have a couple of key clips that I do want to get to, which uh, are going to kind of like open some eyes, uh, hopefully. You never know. Uh, some of this uh, stuff is uh, things that you might already be aware of, of what's happening with our uh, Sniffler and Thief. Some of them are not. You know, it all depends on uh, where you're at here. Uh, but check this out. First clip I want to play, and I'm not gonna play too many clips. I got three very small clips that I do want to get to. Uh, this is uh, Michael Huckabee uh, talking about the uh, the state of the uh, of the union, really, uh, considering the Democrats uh, are just you know fumbling along with uh, old creepy Joe at the helm. And uh, check this out. This is very funny stuff. Michael Huckabee uh, being interviewed and uh, talking about what's happening in this country with our commander in chief. I don't think anybody knows the answer to that moving forward. But, uh, you know, Michael Huckabee makes an excellent point. Uh, he's losing his base. He's, you know, he's lost his mind years ago. And now the Democratic Party, we've seen a lot of them uh, move over towards Republican seats. Um, a lot of them are retiring. And I was getting into our conversation with somebody uh, earlier last week about, you know, a possible uh, red wave hitting uh, the nation in the next uh, election cycle this year and in 2024. And I said, it's going to be more like a red tsunami. Because uh, what's going to happen, it's going to be very interesting in the next uh, couple of years if this continues. And I don't know how much longer the country could bear Joe Biden as uh, commander-in-chief or sniffler-in-thief, whatever. 
I don't know how much more of this guy we can take in office. Uh, so it, it's going to be very scary, guys. Very, very scary the next uh, few years. So, you know, be brave, be bold, understand the situation. And uh, when it comes time to vote, you know, don't hesitate. Vote the right way because what happened in, you know, the last election cycle uh, in 20, uh, in really 2020, uh, which is, it feels so long ago, but it's only a couple of years now. What happened a year and a few months ago was planned out. And I've said this many times. It, you know, forget about the reign of the uh, of Dominion machines. Uh, forget about that. The entire year was one long planned out event, as far as I'm concerned, from the Antifa riots to the Black Lives Matter movement uh, to Nancy Pelosi's uh, impeachment hustle, uh, the hoax against uh, Trump. I mean, all these things are planned out to take over. It's all about power, and politics has always been about money grab and power. And right now, the left has had a lot of that. And you look, if it wasn't for Joe Manchin and uh, Christian Cinnamon, or Cinema, uh, we would have really just the worst uh, bill passed, which was doing nothing but endorsing the Green New Deal. And uh, it would really just destroy the economy, which is what these people on the left are all kind of like bent on trying to do. So, you know, for those who are Democrats, but they're more centralist, uh, you know, be aware because you're going to probably end up paying the price for the progressive leftists who are, you know, behind Biden and are trying to destroy the country. So that's why you're seeing a lot of these people leave the party and move away from this disastrous White House, which uh, it stands no chance of being reelected. I mean, I really think that uh, unless they rig it to win it one more time and really overdo it and just uh, shut their mouth and, you know, accept that it's been rigged and the media is behind it. And once again, you know, they do this just uh, to win and, and, uh, and rig another election. Uh, if uh, that happens again, and, and God hope it doesn't, uh, we might have another extra four years of this nonsense. Uh, something has to give, okay? And, uh, you know, you're already seeing the seeds spread by Joe Biden in the press conference that he uh, put together saying that, well, if they don't rig it, you know, under pressure. Uh, you know, he says a lot of stuff, but none of it really makes any uh, sense. Uh, but he did say something that I, I think he just slipped out with, uh, he, you know, saying that if they don't uh, rig it or whatever. Uh, first of all, we know that the left rigged it, not the right. But the, what he's getting at is if the right wins, it's a con job, no matter how it's done. But if the left wins, it's the cleanest election ever which is what they went with 2020. And uh, this is what the left is pushing. So we have to worry about the optics of everything that's going on now. Uh, somebody who I dearly miss watching on TV, Kelly Mac, uh, uh, McKinney, or Mac, Mac McKinney, Mac, Kelly, whatever her name is. Uh, she was on uh, The Five, and uh, they, they're talking about uh, Joe Biden, and uh, I got this little clip from there. It's actually uh, Biden press conference 
And uh, he's right now as delusional as ever. Check out this audio clip. If you don't think this man is delusional to listening to this, you'll never be convinced. I didn't overpromise. And what I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where uh, we have made enormous progress. I want to know what progress he's made because really he's made no progress. But, uh, you, you know, when Trump was in office, he actually made good things happen for the country. And Joe Biden is kind of taking a page from the playbook where Trump would give himself credit because nobody else would. And he'll say, hey, but, you know, look at all the stuff that we've done right. And, you know, the media didn't want to give him any credit for the things he did right. Remember Operation Warp Speed was under Trump. Um, you know, for the people that are vaccinated and, and are okay with that, who gave you that? Donald Trump, right? Uh, let's see, the economy was booming. We had record unemployment lows. Uh, you know, there was no issues at the border as there is now. I mean, there's, uh, you know, a list of things that Biden has done wrong that Trump did right. Uh, we, you know, we would have never had the crisis at Afghanistan if if it wasn't for Joe Biden butchering that. And even Trump left that really easy peasy. You know, there's ways of moving out. But listen to what Biden had to say about that very thing where he says, oh, but there was no way of, of actually leaving Afghanistan. Uh, no, there was, Joe. Uh, in fact... Trump had it planned out, and you moved the date back from where he was set it to uh, move out. You didn't follow the, the script that was laid out to exit Afghanistan. You left our people there. You left our equipment there. There was like $85 billion worth of equipment. And one of the biggest outliers that I've heard since that is that, well, it cost too much money to move the stuff out of there. Really? It costs a lot of money to fuel a couple, uh, you know, these uh, trucks and these air helicopters and these planes and move them to our neighbors, uh, which are our allies right next door. Which, I mean, to think that $85 billion worth of equipment and cash and weapons were left for the Afghanistan uh, people to come in and now have all this extra equipment and money. I mean, you set them up better than they were before the war started, Joe. And this is what Joe had to say about that. Raise your hand if you think anyone was going to be able to unify Afghanistan under one single government. It's been the graveyard of empires for a solid reason. It is not susceptible to unity. There is no way to get out of Afghanistan after 20 years easily. Not possible no matter when you did it and i make no apologies for what i did he made no apologies for what he did so he doesn't apologize for the dead americans for the way he butchered afghanistan how about at least apologizing for the drone that killed the family and those children a few days after joe no apologies there either in fact uh general milly vanilli called it a righteous strike in other words Killing those children was a righteous kill, uh, according to General Milli Vanilli. And the media covered that up. They haven't talked about it since. I mean, that's become, like, forgotten. 
in the spectrum of the major you know blunders by the Biden administration. So I mean, it look it just uh, it doesn't shock me anymore when I see things and I uh, hear this man speak. It's it's vomit inducing at this point just to hear Biden speak. Uh, you know the lies that come out of this man's mouth is amazing. Uh, so, guys, uh, that's all I have for the political stuff of the week. I do want to get to one other thing before we, I hit break. Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home hit number one again this weekend. Uh, last week, it actually got dethroned for the first time in weeks as uh, Scream 5 debuted and did monster numbers on its first week. But uh, Spider-Man does not look like it's going anywhere. This movie is a, a juggernaut. Uh, it, it this weekend it had uh, brought in 14.1 million. Scream Five brought in 12 million to be number one and number two. So the number one movie in the country again is uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, and the number two movie is Scream Five. Number three on the list is Sing Two with 5.7 million. Number four, Redeeming Love with 3.7 million, and the number five. The King's Men with 1.8 million. And just to give you an idea of where my favorite movie of last year is sitting, at number 11, Ghostbusters brought in 665,000 at number 11 on the uh, top uh, 15 list. And it's now sitting at 127 million uh, domestically, 195 worldwide. Why is that important? Because it's inching closer to passing 2016's Ghostbusters reboot, which had a huge budget. This has a much smaller budget. It's already, you know, broken even and made a profit for the studio. So if it passes the uh, the lifetime domestic gross of that last movie, it's a fantastic thing for going forward for Ghostbusters, which, again, I, I loved Ghostbusters Afterlife. Highly recommended. If you haven't seen it, go to your theaters sometime this week and check that out. I also saw Scream 5. Also a great movie. Check that out if you're a Scream fan. You'll love it. And, of course, what can I say about Spider-Man? It's uh, the best in the series, I think. And uh, it's uh, past a billion. Way past a billion now. So for anybody who says that the the Kung Flu is keeping uh, Americans away from the theaters, you're being lied to because it's not. People are going to theaters to watch their films. And uh, it's a beautiful thing that the movie theaters are making a bounce back. Uh, once again, Spider-Man number one at the box office for this week that uh, we're in, this weekend that we're in. And it's now sitting pretty at $721 million domestically, $970 million internationally for a $1.6 billion worldwide take. So, so much for the, uh, you know, theater chains being just uh, crushed under the virus that is COVID-19 as they're making a huge bounce back and theaters are back and I'm happy to report that movies are starting to make their money again. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of what's been going on in Hollywood, but I will say this. I'm happy that theaters are doing well. I worked in theaters. I love entertainment. I love movies. And these are three of my favorite franchises. So I look forward to seeing more and more of these uh, coming out soon. 
Speaking of shout-outs, before I hit break, shout-outs to my new compadre, uh, Scorpio Moon, who's uh, somebody that uh, you guys all should know here on the network. He's been on PSN before as a host, and me and him are doing a podcast together uh, at the movies with Scorpio and the Jackal, and we're doing movie reviews for YouTube. It's a, a great show. If you follow me on YouTube on Inside the Jackal Said, you get to see all the podcasting right there. So look look for that on there. You get to uh, catch that over on my website again, angelespino.com. Look for the uh, YouTube link and just uh, watch the videos. They're really cool. And uh, Scorpio, big shout-outs to him. He's doing a great job as my co-host on there. And uh, it's a lot of fun uh, recording with Scorpio uh, again. Uh, me and him go back over a decade, so uh, it's a good dude. And uh, I look forward to our next taping. We have now dropping a uh, best of 2021 top 10 list in the next few days. So uh, please look out for that. With that said, guys, uh, we have a fantastic guest coming up in a few minutes. And uh, I really, really want to urge you to please... Pay close attention because you're going to learn something tonight from Michaelis Jacoby. And uh, you're going to really hear something that you have not heard on this show before. Uh, so, you know, turn off the lights, get your popcorn ready, and let's get ready to enjoy the evening with a fantastic guest. Until we come back, enjoy the break. We shall return on Inside the Jackal's Head. PSN Radio. Realism Radio for the masses. All right, everybody, welcome back to Inside the Jackal's Head. I am, of course, Angel Espino, a.k.a. The Jackal. As some of you know, you're listening to PSN Radio, SoFlo Radio, and, of course, the video portion will be live on YouTube within there. So, And uh, please, everybody who's listening in, make sure that uh, if you're watching it on YouTube, hit the subscribe button notification you know we need all that help uh, that you know the algorithms uh give us because you know like a lot of folks within the operations of videoing this kind of content they suppress us they hate the truth and now with me is a gentleman who speaks nothing but the truth and uh, i've been uh really just admiring what i've seen over the last uh, several months and uh you know i really have been looking forward to having you on uh um, and, and let me tell you, when I first heard of you, I had no idea. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to say, I've been a fan for decades. <laughs> uh, but Paul Dio Roberts, I'm going to give him another shout out because he, you know, you know, told me you have to have him on. When you have him on, you're going to, he's going to like change your life. And I've seen a lot of videos and I tell you what, uh, Nicholas, thank you for being here. Um, you know, I could go on and on about your bio and stuff, but I really want the audience to hear from you uh, because it's an amazing life story. Uh, you know, you, you've gone from one direction where you could have gone and, and spent your entire life behind bars, and you've completely turned your life around in a, in a most amazing way, uh, which has inspired me over you know, the last few months as I've been like you know researching you. And uh, I know a lot of the people listening and watching later on are going to be inspired by your story. 
Nicholas J- uh, Jacoby, right, or, Jack- or Jacoby, because people it's, kind of like on the pronunciation, they're a little iffy sometimes. It's definitely the Jacoby and Myers thing, but it's Michaela's, though. But it's close, though. It's real close. Michaela's, jo- uh, Michaela's, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I butcher your names. I'm Cuban. It's you all understand. That's <laughs> what happens. <laughs> Now, for the audience who might not be as aware as I've become, uh, you know, let's give them a little bit of your viral stories from your point of view, and then I'm gonna have a, a list of questions that I want to get to. But I want them to hear them directly from your, you know, your mouth and from your mind, because uh, again, your backstory is just incredible. How short do you want me to make it? <laughs> <laughs> we have about an hour and thirty minutes. You take All your right, time, cool. brother. I got a little bit of time. All right, well, uh, my name is Michaelis, and uh, fuck, I was born in Santa Monica, Santa Monica Hospital. I was raised in the Valley. I was born a Mexican, Filipino, Chinese Jew, so that was confusing. Yes. My middle name is Shlomo. That sucked a lot. Um, growing up, like, you know, I just, it's one of those people that just felt like as soon as I was born, I just wanted to not be here. You know what I mean? Like, it was just uncomfortable. I do. I didn't understand the world. You know what I mean? I didn't understand, like, society, how shit worked. I didn't understand, like, why that kid's shoes were cool, why, like, those guys like that girl, why people made fun of me for this. Like, none of that shit made sense to me. And uh, what's funny is I was just telling a friend of mine the other day, it was actually born deaf. And so, like, they thought I was, like, slow because I couldn't speak for a while. But they found out that I was just, like, you know... I had a bunch of food in my ears. So I wanted like, I was in the hospital a lot when I was a kid and it was a mess. So anyway, I was just like born feeling really uncomfortable in my own skin. And, uh, you know, I went to a bunch of private schools growing up because my grandparents brought Hickory Farms from Detroit to the West Coast. And so they had some money. And so they were like, why don't you put it in my education? And I wish what I knew now, I knew then, which like, you know, private schools isn't really about education. It's really about like, you know, being around different social circles because the world mm-hmm. kind of works on like networking, you know what I mean? And for a guy with like, you know, I came from a middle class, lower middle class family to be elevated in certain social circles. I mean, that was dope. But unfortunately, I didn't understand that. And I was just like a mess kid. And I was like always uncomfortable. I was really sensitive. And I used to like come home, like crying to my mom, like, you know, I don't understand why Gracie Scharnberger isn't like kissing me in the tire or why Jessica Farrell won't hold my hand or whatever, you know. And uh, so I wound up changing schools every two years um, just because I was uncomfortable. My parents like basically just moved me around a lot. And it basically taught me, you know, if you can just run away from your problems, it'll be cool. But what I later discovered is wherever you go, there you are. So nothing really changes, you know. And so I always yeah. ended up in the same place of just feeling like not a part of this world, not understanding like even why I was here. And um, basically when I was a little kid, I was like in fifth grade, I think, and I was already contemplating suicide, you know, and I don't know how many fifth graders you're hanging out with these days, but those fools are little, you know, and I just can't yeah. imagine a fifth grader like wanting to die, but that's really where I was at. But luckily I found my parents' liquor cabinet and that mm. saved my life. So, I mean, I was basically just starting to drink then. I mean, I started with uh, eating the brandy cherries out of the brandy cherry jar. And then I was like, fuck these cherries. Let's just drink the brandy. <laughs> and then I was just, like moving from one liquor to another, refilling bottles with water, just like being that kid. And 
that was like the first time that I got relief, you know, from my mind, basically. You know, so remember, it was a it was a, a substance that you were kind of uh, using as a way to cope with you know what was going on in your life. Um, the substance kind of like ran interference with all the other things that were happening. Totally. Well, it's when everything else didn't work. Like if I got the cool clothes, I tried that. That didn't work. Like after a period of time, seeking validation didn't work. Giving toys away to my friends didn't work. So when like I tried to do all these things as a kid to like people please the world around me to make them like me and nothing worked in the end, it was like I was at this crossroads of either numb out the pain or end my life, you know? So that's yeah. kind of where I was at as like a young child, basically. Yeah. Now we're both at the same age group. We're both 44. Uh, you, you look fantastic for your age. I mean, not oh, so good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm also part Chinese, believe it or not. My great-grandfather was from China. He was a runaway slave at the age of 13. And uh, he was taken uh, to San Francisco to uh, actually build railroads. This is is a long time ago, not in a galaxy far, far away, mind you, in our own galaxy. And uh, he ended up in Cuba somehow. We don't know the whole story, but he ran away from being a slave, ended up in Cuba, got married. Uh, I think it was like 18, 19, he got married, he had a family. This is my great-grandfather, you know, and uh, like you, I, you know, I have uh, issues with, as a kid growing up, I was moved around a lot, so this yeah. is part of, like, when I heard your story, I was like, my goodness, it's like looking in the mirror almost, but he's much better looking, I'll admit, uh, <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> But I was, uh, you know, I was at a crossroads where I was like, damn, this guy has a very similar story, has a little bit of Chinese in his family, is mixed with a Latino uh, family. Uh, you know, I have a Cuban in me, as you can probably see the flag in the background. Yeah. Um, you know, I, my mom is part Portuguese also. Uh, my dad is partly from Spain. So there's a, a big mixture. My brother was in prison when I was growing up. Um, in fact, he was part of the uh, Biden crime bill. They hit in 1995, and because of Joe Biden, yeah, yeah, because because of Joe Biden, uh, my brother spent almost uh, six years in prison because of a crime bill that he passed, uh, which it speaks why I didn't vote for the guy, right? Uh, But um, you know, I I used not having an older brother as a crutch, uh, and then I got into martial arts. That was my way of getting out of things. Uh, it kind of like changing the mindset. You used, you know, alcohol and, and substance abuse. I was fortunate enough that I used martial arts. And that kind of like was my crutch. But I, you know, I totally hear how you could easily fall into substance abuse. And uh, that, when I when I heard that, I was like, that blew my mind. Because I smoked my first joint when I was 12. Yeah. And that's when my brother got out, out of prison. And he was like, uh, I don't know if I the story. I walked in on him, and he's rolling a, a blunt or a joint. And I'm like, oh, you're smoking cigarettes? You know, like a little brat. And he's like, oh, this is not a cigarette, brother. This is something completely different. This is, and, and I didn't know what he was talking about because I was ignorant to, you know, drugs and, and that stuff. And uh, he, you know, lit it up. I smoked a little bit of it. And two or three puffs. That's all I needed, you know. Like I was uh, high as a cat at that point, you did. and uh, my brother was laughing his ass off, and it, it was like trippy because I would hear like the laughing, and I'm like, "What's going on, man?" <laughs> uh, and and I've been in love with Mary Jane ever since. I'm not gonna lie, 
but I, I don't drink. Uh, I've completely cut alcohol, and I was for a while, you know, later on in my life after I had a few health issues, I, I turned over to alcohol hmm. and to substance abuse. And it's been now 18, almost 19 years. In July, it'll be 19 years since I've had any alcoholic beverage. Wow. That's amazing, man. Yeah. So I, I was able to cut that out uh, completely from my life. And I OD twice, uh, once from alcohol, once from drugs. So I haven't had drugs in about 17 years. No alcohol. I'm going now, again, close to 19 years. What drugs? Uh, well, I don't know if you ever heard of Angel Trumpet. Like Angel Dust? Or is different? No, 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 not angel dust. It's uh, it looks like a trumpet. It's like a purple, uh, pink trumpet, and okay. you boil it and you drink it. Like it makes you trip. It's a, it's a hallucinogen. Okay. But if you if you do a lot of it, uh, you get OD very easily and and die. It's uh, similar to ayahuasca. You know, it's that kind of of hallucinogen. It's not like like ecstasy, for example, where you you know if you get this great body trip or cocaine or which is a hell of a drug. Uh, it's nothing like that. Uh, it's it's more like a hallucinogen, like LSD, mushrooms, that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, There's a really funny story on how this happened to me, but I let's just say I drank a, about that much worth of the thing, and you're only supposed to have about two tablespoons. Jesus. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh but, you know, I, I'm lucky to be alive. And once that happened to me, I said, you know what? I'm not doing drugs ever again. Because if that could happen, and it was totally by accident, imagine when I do take something on purpose and I die from it. And, you know, at that point, I already had been sober from alcohol for over a year. And I was like, I'm, I'm done with drugs and alcohol. But not reefer, because, you know, nobody really dies from weed. Let's, let's be honest. And you can smoke a little reefer, you'll be okay. Uh, I haven't smoked in about six months, but that's another story. Uh, you know, I like to keep it clean for a while, just to yeah, clean please. the system. Yeah. But let's go back to you, because this is about you, not about me. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I got actually a question right off the bat, uh, which it's, uh, you know, you and I have another thing we shared in common. You were a, a DJ uh, for a long time. I was a DJ for a long time. In fact, my name was DJ Jackal. Oh, sweet. And, yeah, the, I did that for years, and you did music also. It, you know, why did you leave that exactly? I mean, what was it about that that you decided, eh, it's not for me? Um, What kind of music did you DJ? Mostly hip-hop and, uh, you know, some techno and stuff but it was mostly hip-hop okay cool so i know you're supposed to be asking the questions i'm just curious um <laughs> i think uh i mean i've been djing for like 23 years and i mean i've been fortunate enough to play stadiums of people and play mm. with pretty much every single artist that i've ever wanted to play with and, um i mean i had reached all my goals you know basically and so I got to a place where, I mean, I was living in Bali. I was DJing. It was fun. I mean, you're in Bali. Like, it's all good. You're DJing a lot of, like, you know, beach clubs and stuff. And, uh, I mean, it was awesome. But my life has taken, like, a different turn where, you know, I'm DJing at night. And during the day, I'm basically dedicating my life to helping as many people as I can in terms of, like, 
getting and staying sober, you know, or at least teaching them how to like connect with themselves and the world around them, you know? And I remember being at this club in Jakarta and looking out at the crowd and what I thought at one point in my life with DJing, I was connecting people to each other. I started seeing that it was actually the opposite because I've kind of realized that, you know, a lot of us, and I used to think this too, I used to think that when I did drugs, like that connected me to other people, you know, deeply. And what I realized is that it was really just the drugs sort of connecting to each other and the person wasn't really there. You know, I didn't, in retrospect, I mean, I've been sober like 22 years, you know, and so the level of depth of understanding myself and connecting to myself and really like being the person that I am today, um, I can see how when I was using drugs, all that stuff that I was doing that I thought united me with other beings was actually just separating. And so I was seeing this out in the crowd. I mean, I was seeing like just the general, you know, mood at the club where it's like, you know, guys are trying to get the girls, girls are trying to get the dudes. They're trying to connect with each other, but really like one girl is throwing up on herself in one corner. <laughs> like there's a fight breaking out over there. Like people are kind of falling all over each other. And like the conversations are just like not connective. Like it's just, you know, and it's just a mess. And I just started thinking to myself, like, am I really contributing to the well-being of humanity, you know, which I know is like a weird thing to think as a DJ, but I just, I thought like, I really just want to help people and I want to help people better themselves and be, you know, healthier, not just like outside, but really inside, you know, and I think a lot of that comes from, you know, being able to connect to your higher self, which is more about like unconditional love, unconditional care, selflessness. And I just felt that that environment was a very selfish environment everyone's just trying to take and get and you know that's not really what i'm about today yeah do you think that was the final nail in the coffin for you when it comes to like uh you know turning over into like what you're doing now yeah totally i mean i got to the place where i mean i was playing with uh i opened for chain smokers in jakarta at the stadium there right and i remember like djing and just not being stoked you know mm. like think that I'd be really excited about it, but I just wasn't. I was just there and doing my job, you know? And so, I mean, I had like a bunch of experiences like that, that sort of led up to this place where I understood that like my passion for DJing itself was um, just lackluster, you know? And then like all the, you know, headlining DJs, I just started to not really want to be like them at all anymore you know i mean i played with Mixmaster mike before and like that dude's a dj i know about that yeah i you know, know about what I mean? it. so it's like like that shit i really you know like admired and stuff like that but all these dudes that are coming out today who are you know essentially like pressing play for the most part all these headlining yeah. djs and stuff it's just like i mean you're not doing anything that's like cool so i just wasn't really interested in being a part of that anymore you know so that kind of was one aspect of it. And then that realization that I'm telling you about, yeah, definitely launched me in my new thing. So I basically decided I wasn't going to DJ anymore. And then I was stuck. I'm like, how am I going to help the world? You know, because I do all this shit with alcoholics and addicts 
And that's, you know, out of a book that's already written for me. It was written in 1939. It's basically the Alcoholics Anonymous book and just teaching people a method to going through that. But I mean, I also started to see, especially with the pandemic, like I started to see that what was taught to me was alcoholism was just the Mm -hmm. human condition. Like everyone is dealing with like emotional unmanageability. Everyone's dealing with like believing stories in their head that's creating like other sort of negative emotions throughout their day. You know, I just saw like a lot of fear in the world. And I thought to myself, like, I don't, I don't, I want to help these people, but I can't take them through the big book because there's so much focus on alcoholism and addiction that no one's going to relate to that shit. So I was speaking at a Zoom meeting, uh, an AA meeting in, I think it was in Los Angeles while I was in Bali. And I just mentioned like when I was talking at the end of it, that I had something written in my book and I was talking about my AA book, like something that, like a prayer that I wrote in it. And I talked about that. And then I got all these messages from people like, where can I find your book? I want to read your book. And I just wrote back to them. Like, I actually, no, I haven't written a book. Like it was just in my AA book. It's something I've written there. But then I thought to myself, why don't I fucking write a book? You know? So that's, that's how that came to me. And then basically I, sat in front of my computer and in 10 days it just like shot out of me like that you know oh wow yeah it was nuts it just like flowed so it was a really interesting experience and it's cool like right now it's getting pitched to different publishers and we'll see what happens but i basically want to change the world my friend that's a beautiful story uh and considering the the background i mean the the fact that you know you've gone through everything you've gone through uh you know, it lends me to actually, you know, say the following, that you can never judge a book by its cover, because if you look at yourself 25 years ago, and you look at that person right now as yourself, and you look back, I'm sure you would never have thought back then that you would be doing what you're doing now, or yeah. vice versa. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, and that's judging yourself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was driven by different things, you know? That's yeah, the thing. yeah. That's great, and uh, hopefully the book gets uh, released. And uh, I think, you know, one of the things that we're dealing with uh, with society today is the divisiveness of society. Um, You know, we have, you know, the battle between the left and the right, uh, you know, politicizing everything. Politics has gone bananas over the last few years. Um, You know, you can't have friends anymore if they politically don't agree with you because... You know, the, there's wars that are started over it. It's ridiculous. Uh, you know, I'm, and I was for years a registered Democrat, and I left the party because I saw the, you know, the craziness that was happening. But I didn't become a Republican. I'm an independent. I'm, you know, right in the center. And I'm more of a constitutionalist myself. You know, I follow the Constitution, and I believe in rule of law and, and things like that. And when I look at both sides, I'm like, if we all could just take a moment and just chill and just, you know, bring down the, the level of hate in this, in not only this country, but in the world in general, we'll all be much better. I don't think it, it's possible because there's so much lunacy going on uh, where even if you try to speak out against obvious things, you're labeled something. And they attack you for it. And it's just, it's crazy. What's your take on that? Um, 
I mean, I basically think that common sense has left the building when it yes. comes to all that. I mean, I feel like the world should recognize that the biggest takeaway from politics right now is that it's the show. It's like entertainment, you know, but mm-hmm. everyone gets really passionate about everything. And I don't really understand why, because um, everyone to me is kind of like a joke. And the truth <laughs> is that, like, <clears throat> I don't think there's any side that's, you know, a viable side to pick, nor do I believe that I need a leader in my life to instruct me how to live, you know? Um, so, and there's no one that I'm like looking up to as like the savior for society. I think that that all comes from within. And I think that it comes from like interpersonal relationships and how we connect to each other in the day by day. Because the truth of the matter is, is that, look, all that political shit, that's not happening right now. Right now, what's happening is I'm talking to you. you yeah. know what I mean? We're just chilling in a room. Nothing's going on. You know? Yeah, yeah. And and if you turn on CNN, the world's coming to an end. If you turn on Fox sure. News, the world's coming to an end. Uh, I mean, have you thought about running for politics? Because we do need more open-minded people that are not insane. <laughs> I mean, I thought about it, but I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if the game itself is so powerful that it like has to corrupt anybody that gets in it because Mm -hmm. that's the way it's set up. I mean, I don't know if someone like me could ever be successful in that realm because of it's the machine itself. That's the problem, you know, and that machine has been happening for years. So I, I don't know if it's even possible to undo. So, and the other thing is, is that like, I'm not trying to be a leader either. I'm really just trying to help people find their own inner leader within themselves. You know what I mean? And tap in their own. Yeah. Because everyone is like a powerful being. You know, we don't fucking need leaders, dude. Like, that's that's kind of how I feel about the whole thing in general. So I'd rather like just teach people how to find and receive love amongst the moments of their day. Rather than focus on all this nonsense that's really stuff that literally people are pulling into their moment because if i was to turn on cnn and look at all that negativity or fox news and look at all that negativity i'm literally making a choice to pull negativity into my moment but my moment is just me talking to you you know that's it so and when i leave this building and go downstairs and see the valet guys like just saying hi and asking them how they're doing and wishing them a good night that's my next moment you know, it's not all this other bullshit that is exterior. Like, that's all meaningless. But yeah. we get, like, really tied up in the fantasy. And the truth is, is a lot of us, like, spend so much time in, a, in the story in our heads because, you know, we're not, like, surviving because we need to hunt for food and find shelter anymore. Like, we don't have that kind of desperation of, like, you know, life circumstances dictating like how we behave in each moment. So we have a lot of mm. time. Hands. We're like a sedentary society, you know, yeah. and yeah. with all that time, we think and we overthink, you know, and we basically just start buying into a bunch of shit that's fantasy. Because, you know, one thing I find really strange is uh, the way society now pitches everything about racism. And they, they say everybody's racist for this or that. Uh, You know, we're both of mixed uh, backgrounds and, uh, you know, I go out and I speak to people all the time of, you know, any color, 
doesn't matter what color, race, religion, sexual orientation, none of that matters to me. You know, I, I grew up in a household where uh, my mother, who passed away in 2016, uh, was a big influence in my life, and she taught me as a kid to always be respectful to everybody, didn't matter where they came from, who they were, because, again, we come from a mixed background. And I have conversation all the time with black folks, white folks, Asians, uh, people that come into my everyday life. And, um, you know, one thing I find is when you do have that connection, that one-on-one, it is different because you, you, you're you able to connect and you see that we're all the same. And it's a lot easier to actually get that connection and understand that everything else is just optics. And the biggest thing that I blame is the media, but technology. I think technology has been both a, a great tool for us to be able to do what we're doing now, but also it's hindered the human race in our evolution. I, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, the joke was, oh, you know, you know, f- coming from like my dad, for example, would be like, oh, you know, I had to like go through snow and this and that to be able to get to, you know, to school and. And I was like, Dad, you lived in Cuba. There's no snow in Cuba. But he's like, he's like you shut up. But you know, he would say it as a joke, right? But he was trying to make a point that it was a lot harder for him and it was so much easier for me. Now I look at kids and they have so much technology. You know, a smartphone is more powerful than when we used to go to the moon, for example. And uh, you look at the technology and the jumps and the leaps and the hurdles that it's making. How much do you think that plays a part in just dumbing down the world and kind of like being used to separate us as, you know, before when I was a kid, when you were a kid, we would go outside and play. I know. Kids don't do that anymore. I know. I mean, I have a 20-year-old son, and I remember like in his teenage years, like a lot of his friends, he never met it before. They were all people that he was like gaming with. And those were yeah. the conversations like going outside and playing with kids like that has become obsolete for the most part. So, yeah. And I mean, you walk down the street and you see like people walking into this shit because they're just like doing yeah. that. I mean, that's yeah. how our people are living right now. So, again, it like also ties into, yes, it's definitely a great isolator because, you know, people in social situations don't socialize anymore. They just sit around the table with their phones or if you feel uncomfortable in a social situation, the first thing you do is you grab your phone and you look at it. It's almost like this self-soothing thing, way to escape the moment, you know? And we wonder why everyone has so much social anxiety. It's because they're not dealing with society. You know, the only way through a problem is through it. So there's definitely that aspect. And, uh, And yeah, again, the other thing is like what I was talking about before, it's just like too much information, you know? And the way, like what you're talking about with the media, it's like the media is trying to sell stories and what people are interested in is the car crash. You know, that's what they want to look at. They want to look at the scandal, you know, and it's just like, um, you know, when you're just inundated with all this negative information, it's really like easy to get overwhelmed and to think that the world, I mean, you know, if I got on the internet right now, we'd be in World War Three tomorrow with the whole Russian-Ukraine thing, right? Fucking. Yeah. There's four different types of aliens on this earth and they're all going to fucking kill us. Like, there's so much stuff, you know what I mean, that I could just be filling my mind with when the truth of the matter is, is that my best job is to just help the person in front of me. That's it. That keeps me out of all that stuff. And it keeps me out of my phone, too, you know, and it keeps me present 
it keeps me purposeful and it like allows me to really appreciate how beautiful this world is and all the gifts that are coming to me all the time. And because I'm present, I'm actually like aware of the gifts when they're presented to me. I mean, I used to think about how many gifts I just passed by because I was just on some blinder modes of like, you know, just trying to get what I want or trying to fulfill my plan. But, you know, my plan sucked. You know, the universe is taking care of me in a much bigger way than I could ever possibly fathom for myself. Yeah, and I, you know, I I often uh, joke about on this show about um, there is no future, there is no past, nothing is written in stone for the future. Um, We live in the present, and Mm -hmm. it's a gift. It's whatever your God is, whatever your your religion is. uh, This is a gift. The moment we live in, that's why we call it the present, because it's a it's a gift you get every day. Every time you wake up and you breathe in the morning. That's the gift from whatever God you you know you you worship or whatever deity might be out there. Um, funny enough, uh, you know Paul Dio Roberts is uh, world renowned for ghost hunting, UFO hunting. Uh, you know, shout outs to him again. But the one thing I love about the guy is that he's in the Guinness Books of World Records for dancing. I know it's so crazy. <laughs> I love that shit. It's so good. And I teach him all the time. We've had him on on this show and other shows uh, where I've produced and I've been a part of, and that usually gets the biggest laugh. And of course, we have the longest conversation about that. And to me, that's the best aspect of you know his life. Really, is that he was able to do that and for disco dancing. And you you, you know, people will say, "Well, what's the big deal?" You know, we we look at that; it's not a big deal. But think about that. Right now, people are trying to get in the Guinness Book of World Records for, like, Pokemon on their phone and stupid stuff. You know, like, how cool is that? He was a disco dancer, and he's in the... How much books. cocaine did he have to take, though? That's my one. A, a lot. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, I'm good, man. I can keep going. <laughs> well, you know, it, it is a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. It's just funny. Yeah. Nah, he's Rest amazing. in peace, Rick James. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, no, he's an amazing guy. I love Paul Dale Roberts. Um, man, oh, just a, yeah, he's a fantastic human being. Uh, you know, with the modern way of life as it is, I mean, do you think there's any hope for humanity in the next few years, or are we destined to like pour ourselves out, you know, into smithereens because of like the way things are going? If I didn't think that there was hope for humanity, I wouldn't have written my book. So I mm. believe possible and i 100 percent believe that if like people practice it then there's hope because it's based on it's not a book that you just read it's something that you read with people and then once you've gone through the process you spend your spare time teaching it to people so Mm -hmm. it builds that like interpersonal connection it builds like the practice of practicing being the blessing in every moment it builds an understanding of divine purpose and it's just one of those things that you know spreads so i mean i think that that's what we need to get to so if people can actually like do that and are willing to and are willing to understand that the things that they think are important are not necessarily important the things that they think will make them happy they can look in their past and realize that it's never enough and it never makes them happy, um, then, yeah, they'll get down to the simple practice of 
understanding that everyone's purpose on this earth is just to be loving and kind and serve the moment, you know? Um, yeah. That's it. It's very simple, you know, but I think what's lacking is yeah. that people don't have a practice. A lot of people read these like self-help books and they get inspired by that about living in a moment or being loving and kind or, you know, whatever motivates them. Some people are just reading them to try to get money or wealth or whatever, but you know, um, in the end, if that book doesn't offer you a practice, something to do in your day to day, then it's just another, you know, uh, example of self-knowledge and self-knowledge doesn't really help you because what winds up doing is maybe you'll change for a little bit, but two weeks later, you're back in your old grind because you haven't practiced a new behavior pattern, a new thought pattern for long enough, you know, and people forget. So, yeah. What do you use now to, to stay focused, though, and not lose your way of thought? Because, I mean, with the way society is built, you could easily just, you know, fall off the wagon. I help people every day. I help at least one to seven people, taking them through the A book and this specific method that was taught to me, I think, 12 years ago. So mm. I've been doing that for the last 12 years. And so I've been practicing trying to be the blessing, you know, imperfectly but at least practicing it every single day for the last 12 years. And that's yeah. basically what I've done and what I continue to do because it continues to give me gifts. You know, it hasn't let me down yet, you know, and when I feel like life is a problem or I'm, you know, faced with something that's bringing me fear, or insecurity or vulnerability, you know, helping someone else without expectation or reciprocation does a few things. Number one is it takes me out of my head and gets me in the present moment. Number two, I either realize that, you know, there was never a problem in the first place and it was just shit in my head. Or while I'm helping people, that problem resolves itself because that normally happens. Or like while I'm helping people, excuse me, helping people, I, you know, start to basically drift away from the emotional investment, which makes it feel overwhelming. And so by the time, like, I get done with the helping people, like, I have a new perspective on it where the solution becomes more clear, if there even needs to be one. So that's basically what I've done, you know, and I've done it consistently enough where um, it's become more instinct to me rather than something I have to force myself to do. It's become just like a daily practice, you know. And I know there was a person in your life that uh, changed the, I think it was a counselor that changed the, the way you uh you perceive life and, and can you speak about him a little bit? Um, I mean, I've had a few people that have really like touched my life. When I was in jail, there was this guy, a counselor named Louis Lopez. That's and, the one. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not alive anymore, but he was dope. I mean, because I had never been introduced to like AA or NA or any kind of sobriety thing at all. And, you know, I got transferred into this treatment part of jail. Um, and like, dude was like a straight vato. You know what I mean? Like 18th Street tattoo in his ear, LA on his neck, like, you know, the slick back hair, the mustache, you know what I mean? The whole deal, you know what I mean? Like coming in with his fucking dickies and shit. Like always <laughs> clean pressed, you know, white tennies, like, and, uh, you know, I knew that he had done some shit. So I listened to him and, uh, you know, he was just a wise man. And there were just little things that he, you know, talked to me about at that time that just really 
opened up my eyes to hope that I could have a new kind of life because I knew that he had changed, you know. And then when I got out of jail, there was this dude, Larry Luttrell, <clears throat> who helped me out a lot too. And he basically helped me um, basically nurture this intuition that I have, you know. Like I was working for him after I graduated the sober living and I was running groups and doing this stuff. And I know this is going to sound fucking weird, but you know, I'd be sitting and like kind of doing therapy with some dude and this guy would be lying to me about whatever he was doing through his day. And I knew intuitively he was lying, but then I started like hearing these voices in my head, like with questions, you know? Mm. And I told Larry, I was like, yo, I'm hearing these weird fucking voices, man. I think I'm like out of my mind. He's like, well, what are they saying? I'm like, well, they're asking questions. He's like, well, fucking ask the questions. And I was like, okay. So I started doing that. I started practicing, like asking these questions. And what I wound up seeing is I would like open up these can of worms and bust apart like this fucking deep deceit that this dude has been running for like the last month, you know? And like, I just started to like intuitively understand and be able to like see through people. So he really taught me that sort of sixth sense shit. And then the last guy, Deezer D, he was a guy who taught me this um, way to take people through the AA book, which was passed on from the first hundred once a book was written. And it's like a really specific method. And it also, he actually explained to me through this process, like what alcoholism and addiction actually is, what it isn't, and how the program was designed to work. And mm. I was like sober nine and a half years, 10 years at that point. And I had gone to a lot of meetings, worked with sponsors, had sponsees, like done the whole fucking deal. And I never understood it like this. And so when he broke that shit down to me, it launched me into a new sort of like existence, uh, which is why I'm at where I'm at today, you know? And that's mm. really actually the inspiration for the book that I wrote too. So it's cool. Do you would you consider yourself like an empath a, a little bit? I mean, the voices you say you heard uh, were they like literal voices or just like you know they just came to you? Uh, well, first of all, like the word empath, I think is like just a fucked word today. I feel like a lot of people <laughs> like use empath to describe their like fucking self-centered, oversensitive, like oh I can't be around these people because I feel their <laughs> toxic energy. Like, that's the fucking empath of today, which is some bullshit. I mean, an empath, I think, selflessly is someone who actually can, like, see where people at, feel it, not necessarily internalize it, but then utilize that feeling that they're getting off them to serve them and realizing it's not about them and, you know what I mean, be cool. So yeah. I guess in that sense, I definitely am empathic um, because, yeah, the voices that I heard what was interesting about them was it wasn't in my voice. It wasn't like my voice in my head. It was like some other stuff. And I still do it. And I still have other weird shit too, where, you know, um, yeah, I'll be sitting with someone and doing work with them or whatever. And, you know, sometimes like my visuals will change too. Like mm. it'll get real shimmery around them. And then the world around them will just fall away. And it'll just be just me and them. And like, there's just a, it's almost like I'm looking into their spirit, it feels like. And uh, that's an interesting experience, too. But I, it's almost like a meditation, but living in that space, you know? Yeah, no, I, I get you. Uh, you know, I, I 
took martial arts for a long time, and martial arts a big thing. A big thing is balance and learning. You know the way of communicating and really avoiding the fight, but looking at people for you know their spiritual self. Uh, it's a big thing. My sensei used to teach us, and I, well, I'm not in a position to that. I could say I'm, you know, I'm an empath or anything like that. Um, I tend to respect other people, you know, because of the fact that I understand everybody's built differently, but there's also that balance that I think everybody should strive for in their life. Uh, it seems almost like that helps you reach your, your balanced core. Yeah, 100%. And look, a lot of it also has to do with the fact that, I mean, I've done a lot of inventory on myself mm. through this process. And I mean, I've fucked everything up, bro. I mean, I've yeah. fucked everything up sober. I've literally made every mistake that you possibly made. All the shit I did, what I was using, I've done sober and I've gotten to like darker places. So there's not like, because I've had all that experience, like I can recognize it in other people really quickly. And I can relate to the feelings, I can relate to the fears, the unmanageability. And there's no like judgment ever coming from me. So people open up and talk to me, you know what I mean? Cause yeah, can I fucking judge anybody? But like what you're saying, I want to go back to the racism thing. It's like, we are the same. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a fucking skin suit. That's it. Yeah. I mean, we're really yeah. just light and energy, you know? So, I mean, racism itself to me is also like the dumbest shit I ever fucking heard of either. Same with borders. You know, yeah. people get so fucking crazy about the land that they were born on, but, and they think that they own it. But the truth is, is that like, they didn't have any fucking choice. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not like they chose that spot and like they stay claim on it and they're going to live there forever. They're going to fucking die too. And everything's yeah. on fucking lease here, you know? So to have pride about like, this is my country and this is, you know what I mean? All that stuff that all that shit's divisive. You know what yeah. I mean? It really is. So like, yeah, I opened up with my ethnicity because it's, you know, it's part of who you are, but really, yeah, but but it's part of who you are. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just a small part of who you are. You're a human being first and foremost, but you know, it's funny because I I get, and I got into a conversation a while back with uh, a black girl uh, and uh, she was like, oh, you're a white boy and this and that you don't understand. I'm like, first of all. My brother's mulatto. His father was a black man. My mother was married to a black man before she met my father. I have black in my immediate family. My aunt from my mother's side was a black woman because my grandmother married a black man also at one point. Uh, My godmother, who was my aunt, black lady, black godfather. Uh, My nephews are, you know, dark skinned. And I have lupus and I've lost a lot of my pigmentation over the years. Uh, but I was a little bit darker than you at one point. But, yeah. you know, when you have uh, lupus and you lose the the malignancy in your skin, you turn into Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> uh, you know, unfortunately. Uh, and when I told her that, she did, she lost her mind. Like, I was like, you know, some crazy person. I'm like, listen, never judge a book by its cover because you don't know who I am. I don't know who you are. But I guarantee you, if we cut ourselves, we're the same things inside. Oh. You know, it, and this is, you know, one thing that I always go back to Star Wars, for example, where Yoda's talking to Luke, and he's like, 
you know, you're not this bag of flesh or whatever, you know, you know, you're an eternal being and, you know, the being of the force or whatever it is that drives us or God or whatever it is, our eternal soul, I think it's more important than the outside of who we are. 100%. And people are so caught up in that. Oh, you know, you're white, you're black. You know, one thing that I really hate now is in schools are teaching our kids critical race theory. And they're turning white kids into self-hating white kids. And they're making it so like, you know, if you're a white person now, you're supposed to hate white people because all white people are racist. That's right. that's the the common thing for a lot of these folks. And I look at that, I'm like, not really. You know how many white people have done great by me? And how many black people have done great by me? How many Latinos have done great by me? And how many white people have shitted on me? How many Latinos have shitted on me? And how many black people have shitted on me? It's equal 50-50. It's the person. And it's the heart of the person. It's nothing to do with the race, color, or creed. And we can't blame an entire group of people for something that happened 400 years ago, 300 years ago, 100 years ago. You know, these kids growing up now are now responsible for their ancestors' mistakes. You know, and I think that's one of the narratives that our country is going through that is dividing the hell out of this country. And it's sad to see it as a person of mixed backgrounds. Uh, to see that happening and to see the fact that, you know, you have, like, for example, the White House going after parents, say they're domestic terrorists because they don't want their kids learning th- these things. I mean, it, it's just it's a crazy time in the world. It is crazy. And like, you know, systemic racism is like the big thing right now. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you really think about it. It's really systemic character defect because so yeah. much racism is based in greed, actually. Mm-hmm. It's grace and like pride, you know, and judgment and sloth too. You know, people are fucking lazy, so they want to find cheap shit, which also goes down to greed too. I mean, that's a lot of what it is. And and the truth is, is that every race and every human being on this earth exhibits greed, sloth, pride, anger, yeah. judgment in their life. You know what I mean? So that's the thing. It's like when we sort of start taking a look at our own behavior and seeing that, you know, yeah, it may not manifest in that particular way, but I'm capable of being that. And I have been that we start to see that we're all basically hypocrites. Right. And we start to be able to have compassion for other people and their stuff. You know, a lot of that stuff is also fear-based or what just people were brought up with, you know? So like you're saying uh, with that girl that you were talking to, you know, if you guys start actually having just an intimate, authentic conversation about your upbringing, like the experiences that you've had, you would also see that you're just the same, you know? That happened. Yeah, no, yeah. I, once we started talking, I, now she's one of my uh, good friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know? Yeah. Uh, but it started off with this complete, like, oh, you know, but a dumb white boy. And I'm like, I'm not even white, but thank you. You know, it's it's not it's not like I hate white people. You you shouldn't hate white people either. You know, we shouldn't hate anybody. I think uh, for whatever differences, it, you know, the rainbow and, and you know I'm a heterosexual male, but I do think the rainbow is a beautiful thing because we're all shades of a rainbow. We're all different shades, and that's beautiful in 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 context of what humanity is. But it's just the color. You know, the interior and the mind is really what matters the most. I often do feel, though, that we're playing in a matrix 
and we're you know we're actually uh, light beings in a different dimension, a different realm, playing this video game, trying to learn, uh, you know, the way of how to treat each other because you know these these beings don't understand uh, diversity or don't understand love, for example, and we're sent here to kind of like live out this life and kind of go through these steps and learn these different uh, teachings that, you know, maybe they're missing. And that's what humanity is, and that's where our realm is. And uh, maybe that explains the voices that you, that you hear. Maybe that explains a lot of things that we go through in life. Uh, you know, I don't believe there's purgatory when you die. I think this is purgatory. You're sent here to live this life, and life is not easy. Life is not fair. Life is what it is, but it is a present. Like I said earlier, it's a gift, and every day you got to kind of enjoy it in that sense. Look, one of my best friends in life is a lesbian. I've known her for 23 years, and uh, I love her to death. She's one of my best friends. Uh, another one of my best friends is a Cuban who's out in Texas right now. You know, love the guy. Great guy. And, uh, you know, he's Cuban. She's Costa Rican. And uh, I have a, a black friend who's, uh, well, he's in Georgia now. I'm the godfather of his son, who's about 17 years old now, and I've known him since he was a baby. And, I mean, these are beautiful people, and I don't care what color they are. You know, these yeah. are just people that I love, and they're in my life. And, you know, I, I always try to strive and call them and keep in contact with them, and no matter where they are in the world. But they're, the point I'm trying to get to is that they're human beings, and we have to start going back into focusing on that. The biggest, I think, issue is that we label everything. Yeah, we're going really hard on right now. Like, I think a lot of people, especially, like, uh, you know, groups of people and, you know, the group of people thing doesn't really exist, but, you know, um, they feel like respect is going to come from, you know, identification, you know, and I don't know that that's it, you know, like, I, I don't think any of that shit really matters, you know, when they start really, like all the gender identification and stuff like that, like, who gives a fuck, dude? Yeah. yeah. You're just a human being. It's all good. Like, I don't give a fuck who you sleep with. I don't care, like, what you think you are. You're just a being on this earth. I'm going to fucking love you. Like, I don't give a shit, you know? So it's just, like, a really strange thing. In the end, we're going to have to get to this sort of unity place if we're really going to grow as a collective. You know, so right now I feel like, you know, we're just kind of messing around with this other bullshit until mm -hmm. everyone sort of figures that out, you know, which yeah. is, you know, like what I talked about with the politics. It's like, but to me, I mean, I think it's, it's so obvious to me, but I, you know, a lot of people out there are still so passionate about these things that really don't fucking matter in the long run, in the big picture. Like, these are small human issues, you know? There's, like, a spiritual experience and there's a human experience. And I think a lot of people right now are really wrapped up in the human experience. And it's small. It's a little shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Now, have you had any uh, chances to go uh, ghost hunting with Paul Dale Roberts? I haven't, but I want to <laughs> do it so bad. So bad. And, uh, I mean, I've been oh. gone for, like, seven years. So, And I think that I, I just met Paul he contacted me after my father died, you know? Oh, wow. So, and I've been, 
you know, gone for a lot of time since then. So we haven't even really had a chance to link up, you know, but I'm stoked. I told him like, as soon as I found out that I wanted to do that, it sounds awesome. So, yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, now just imagine if you start seeing things, maybe you do have a sixth sense. I mean, I have done that too. Have you ever done it with him? No, actually, you know, I haven't, but a uh, funny story. I, when we first moved to Florida, uh, from California, by the way, I, I lived in California for several years after we got here to the U.S. And uh, the first house we lived in was this big yellow duplex. And I'll never forget this. I was a kid. I was like maybe six. And we're moving in and the neighbors are moving out the same day. And my dad asked, uh, you know, why are you guys moving out? The rent was like 250 a month, four bedroom, huge place, right? And the neighbor just looked at him and said, he'll find out. And that's all he said. I, I showed you, he said nothing else, and he just left. And my dad was like, uh, this guy's crazy, you know, like, whatever. So we move in, and I'll never forget the story. Um, the first few days, nothing. It was, you know, we were unboxing everything. Everything's cool. Huge kitchen with these marble cabinets, or humongous, beautiful setup. And I'm there in the uh, kitchen table. My mom's turned around. She's making coffee. And... I'm coloring the coloring book, and she had her keys at the coffee table, like one end of the coffee table by the wall. Yeah. And I'm here coloring, and I see the keys going. No way. Dude, it was the craziest thing. And then it reaches the edge of the table, hangs in midair for like a split second, and then just falls to the floor. And I'm looking at that, like mesmerized the entire time. And this is where I never forget this because my mom turned around and started yelling at me like it's my fault, right? And now she had like this little ornament that she had gotten for Christmas, which is like this little snow globe type of thing for her keys. And she was like, you're going to break my snow globe. Oh, my God, stop messing with my keys. And, I, and I'm like, Mom, I haven't touched your keys. And she goes, oh, they just, you know, they accidentally fell by themselves from one side like, of the table. Yeah, so, they did. I'm like, that's it. Yeah, that's what happened. And she's like. Stop bullshit, you know, bullshitting me. Come on, you know, you know better than that. And I'm like, Mom, that's exactly what happened. She sent me to my room. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like, I, you know, in my mind, I didn't know anything about ghosts or anything like that. So I, I wasn't understanding exactly what I had just seen. And uh, I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, what the hell just happened? And I, I kind of shrugged it off, didn't think much of it. And then one night, my brother's with this, you know, this girl that he had been at school like a day or two before. And my brother, man, he worked quick. You know, back then, he, like, he had a girlfriend like two days later. And uh, he started, like, you know, about over this girl, and she was we were hanging out. We were watching TV, and the TV turned off by itself. Whoa. And my brother was like, what the hell? And he goes over, turns it on puts back to you. I think we were watching the show Que Pasa USA. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. And uh, Spanish-English mixture. The only thing we could watch in the 80s, you know. Right. It was either that or different strokes with Arnold. And um, so the TV turned off again by itself. Like I said, and like Que Pasa USA. I don't know. Maybe it was a racist ghost. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, my brother goes up again. He's like, what the hell? And, and I'm in front of them looking at the TV as they're sitting in the couch in the background and I'm like, like, my face just went blank. And, and my brother's like, the hell? And he starts banging on the TV as it's off, and it turned on by itself. Crazy. And, and I'm like, okay. 
And I, I at that point, I just got up and I walked into the room and I walked, I walked away from the from the living room. And my, and you know the TV you know kept playing, nothing happened. So according to my brother, after that, and in my room, I started hearing the voice of a little kid. Hmm. And then I see on the wall a shadow of what looked like maybe a, a little girl or something walking across the the room into the the closet. And at that point, I walked out of my room. And I'm like, I can't go back in the room. Like, Something's going on here. Yeah. Something's happening here. My father thought we were crazy. And, you know, maybe he was right. I don't know. Uh, the, my brother experienced something that was really creepy. He used to hang his chains on a tack that he had on the wall or a nail that he had on the wall. And it was, you know, the thing was sticking out like maybe like that. You know, and he would put the chain back and stuff so it wouldn't cover the whole nail. And the chain, for whatever reason, one night just flipped out and it fell inside a, uh, a fan that he had. And it got caught up in the fan and broke. Oh. And this is a, a nice chain. And my brother got really pissed and he's like, you know, complaining about the fan. And he's like, how the hell this happen? I get blamed for it. And I'm like, I'm in another room. How are you blaming me for something that happened in your room? Right. And I was getting blamed for everything. And I'm like, I have the keys, the chain. You know? I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then one night, my brother's yelling, stop hitting me, stop hitting me. And I'm in the other room, and, I'm, and I wake up, and I hear him. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? So I get up, and I walk into his room, and I turn the lights on. And I, this is where the, the creepiest thing of everything that I, ever, that I saw was the bed was like, it looked like it was being held down. Like the sheets were holding him down, and something was punching him. Really? And my brother was like, like this. And as soon as I turned on the light, and I saw like a few seconds later, the sheets lifted up, and my brother got up, ran out of the house. That's he ended up, Yeah, he ended up staying in a motel, wow. uh, which he paid for by himself with you know the money that he had uh, from right. I don't know where he got it. Uh, but he's like, I am not going back into the house. I not happening. And uh, my dad at this point thought we were all lunatics because he hadn't seen anything. The only one that had seen anything was my dad. My mom had seen a couple of things, but my mom from Cuba, she's kind of like, you know, eh, well, maybe, but I'm not, you know, because she's seen some things and she's experienced some crazy things herself. And so she wasn't like, you know, too aware of what's happening. But when I told her about that story, she was like, oh, something's going on here. And then my dad saw something. He saw a reflection in the mirror. It looked demonic. And, uh, and, yeah, and it was in a hallway mirror that we had. And he was walking by, and he and looked over, and it was, he jumped. And he was like, what the hell? And Spanish, not English, by the way. And, coño, que eso? Like, more or less <laughs> what he said. And he looked over, and he and the, the, the face that he put was like, that shit, you know, it was like, have you seen the show Fear Factor? Yeah. Okay, imagine the most frightened person you've ever seen on that show times 100. That's my dad's face. Yeah, he was freaked out. And he was like, okay, we're moving the hell out of this house. You know, we, we didn't last about maybe a month and a half in the house, maybe two months, because it was just too much, and it started getting crazier and crazier and crazier. So we ended up moving out. Ironically enough, the reason I started remembering the story a lot uh, is because before my mom passed away in 2016, um, I was able to catch him in the house where we were living before in uh, Color Bay, Florida. And we're all united, my brother, my mom, my dad, we're all kind of in the group. My parents have been divorced for years, but my, when my mom got cancer, uh, my dad and her kind of like became real good friends. And um, 
my and I, I go, Mom, remember the house we lived in that was haunted? And she went into story mode. And she started talking about everything in Spanish, you know, like about what happened and this and that. And I, and I was recording with my phone. I was like, ah, if anybody ever wants any, any evidence, here it is, fucker. Because when she dies, what are you going to do? I'll give my mom? That's totally. her words, right? And my brother was like, oh, yeah, man, I remember this and that. So bring a, to you know, make a long story short, I started working at this company, which was about two or three blocks away from the house. Oh, crazy. And I used to drive by the house a lot on my way back and forth from, home, you know, my new house now I was living in and from my job. And every time I drove by the house, I felt like this weird presence, like almost like somebody was looking at me. And I, I told the story to, to a friend of mine. He's like, why don't you go to the house? See if there's any ghosts still there. And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? Don't follow me to where I'm at now. No, thank you. But as soon as my mom passed away in 2016, I started seeing her apparition in my old house. It got so bad that I had to put my house for sale. Wow. Because I would see her in the living room, in the kitchen. I don't know, maybe that was just my mind playing a trick on me. But I started seeing her, and I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't dreaming. I would walk in from work, and I would see her in the kitchen. She would turn around and start talking, but I couldn't make out what she was saying, and then she would just disappear. And that happened several times to me. And that's somebody told me that's when they're trying to tell you something. And, you know, unless you're fully capable of understanding what the other side is, you won't hear them, but you'll be able to see them or something to that context. And I said, well, you know, it's my mother. I'm not afraid that she's going to hurt me. But it still freaked me out to the point where I listed my house and sold it, you know, a few months later. Um, And certain things happened, which were very strange. Uh, We had an electrical fire in my old house where she passed away. And she passed away in the hospital, but it was a hospital that she lived in the last few years. And there was an electrical fire I was at at work after she had passed. And I get home and I smell the smoke. I run to the computer room and sure enough, the power outlet blew up and caught fire. There was a ring around the electrical outlet. The thing melted inward. The electrical outlet was right on the bottom of a TV. There was posters and things like you see a poster right here. Like, right. Imagine there's a TV here, like there and electrical outlet right under it. Now, when there's a fire, wood catches fire. Posters catch fire. Nothing burnt, but everything burnt inward. I have a picture of it. I'll send it to you so you can see it. Uh, I showed it, I think, to Paul, and Paul was like, oh, my God. The fire department came in, and uh, I called them because I was freaked out. And they were like, we've seen houses burn down for less than this. Wow. How did this house now burn down? And I'm like, "I, I can't explain it. You know, that I have no idea. So I always thought maybe my mother was trying to tell me something that was going to happen. And it happened. And she was looking out for yeah, me and the well-being of the house or whatever. And here's another kicker. In the same year, we had a hurricane called Edma the hit, right? One of my good friends calls me up. He's like, bro, you got to get out of the house. The hurricane's crazy. It's going to hit right over your neighborhood. You got to leave or you're going to die. And I'm like, let me tell you something. After what I've been through this year, there's no way that a hurricane named Irma is going to kill me. <laughs> They're like, why? And he goes, because my mother's name was Irma. Mm. So 
And he's like, holy shit, that's right. My mother's name was Irma Horta. Horta is a Portuguese last name, but her first name was Irma, I-R-M-A. Right. And and uh, he was like, oh, man. I, man, but still, you know, you, you got to be careful. And I'm like, I think I'm going to be okay. I swear to you, my house, nothing happened to it. Wow. No trees fell. We lost power for two hours. That was it. My friend calls me three days later. He was still trapped on the roof of the uh, of the house where he had went to make refuge, thinking he was going to be okay. His house was complete loss. Wow, that's crazy. My house untouched. So I mean, knock on wood. I I think my angel is my mother, and I think that she's been looking out for me ever since she passed. And uh, you know, I feared, uh, you know, seeing her apparition and, and that whole moment I kind of got scared because of my emotion as I am so connected to my mother you know she was a, a, a big big influence in my life as you can probably tell by the way I talk about her uh, but she was one of my heroes in life and uh, from her story and the way she got here through the Marielle boat lift and everything that she went through in her life this is a woman who saw her own brother commit suicide by fire so you know the, she went through some stuff as a kid and, uh, you know, that moment where, you know, I saw, like, you know, her apparitions, had the fire, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to be okay. You know, I look, I have lupus, I have a thyroid condition, I have a broken back from a car accident, I have a job, and I still walk to work, I wake up in the morning every day, and I live life as a gift, and I get that from my mom. And a lot, when I talk to a lot of people, they you know, they, they cry a lot of times. Because they don't look at their parents that way. And the one thing I always reflect on is like, if you have your mother, if you have your father still in your life, and they were good parents, make sure you hug them every day. Give them that love they, you know, they deserve. Because not everybody's blessed with having good parents also. Right. And, you know, that's one thing that I think we're missing most in the world is the good father and mother figure in the household. That influence is, you know, going forward amazing. Um, you know, if it wasn't for my parenting that I had, I probably would have ended up in prison. Right. My brother went through the wrong path, not, and he had great parenting, but my brother was a little bit, you know, more into like, oh, living, you know, street life and this and that, and he wouldn't listen, you know, and, and I didn't want to be like my brother, so I tended to listen more to my parents, and I, and I would say that I had a great upbringing. We were broke. We were homeless for six months. You know, I lived in a trailer for a while. And, you know, I didn't have toys growing up like other kids. One Christmas, my dad was able to buy a bunch of toys. We got robbed six days later. Lost everything. So, I mean, it's not like I had, you know, a plethora of beautiful things. I had nothing growing up. But I have one thing that a lot of people don't have is I had great parents. And that love... You know that I have from my mother and my father. My father's still alive, thankfully. Uh, but that love that I have from my parents influenced the hell out of me, and I think that's one of the things that's missing. I mean, uh, would you say that, that you think that also that I mean that that parenting is one of the main aspects that we're missing in life with our with our kids? Um, I mean, I think it's. I kind of think everyone's on their own path and their own journey in life. You know. Mm. Like you said, like your brother's path differed from you, but you were under the yeah. same, you know? So, I mean, I think good parenting is awesome, 
but I don't necessarily believe that that's all, that's the end all be all of what's going to sculpt the experience of the individual who's being parented by them. You know, um, my family, you know, my father left when I was around one and a half or two. And, uh, you know, when I was young, I, you know, took that personally and thought that he left me when the reality was he was just leaving the relationship with my mother. Um, I didn't really understand that he wasn't coming back because that wasn't really explained to me. So there was definitely like a longing there. And then uh, my mom and I had like a couple years, just me and her, and we kind of had like a really codependent, blurred boundary relationship in a lot of ways. And then she married a guy um, who on paper was great. I mean, he was very responsible. He had a job. He, you know, provided for the house. He did all this stuff, you know, whatever, but he was not like really emotionally available to me. And it was very confusing to me because I just felt like he didn't love me. He didn't want to spend time with me. Like if we went out to play catch or something, he would just be looking at his watch and be like, okay, it's time to go, you know? So that was a very strange experience to the point where I just, I questioned why he, he wound up adopting me. And I asked him like, why did you even bother? You know? So, I mean, that was my experience. And, you know, there was some weird things that happened. Like me and my mom tried to kill ourselves together when I was 17. Mm. Um, so, but in the end, I mean, here I am. So I don't know that it like really made that much of a difference in terms of my life path exactly, because, you know, based on a lot of the experience that I've had, you know, you would think that I would be in prison right now, but the universe had different plans for me. Yeah. But I, and that, and that aspect, I think you're a lot like my brother, because my brother now has changed his life. He's, you know, much better person, but he went through those rough patches. He was in prison as well, you know? Uh, so there's a lot of similarity to her also. No, but I tend to agree. I, I mean, for me, having great parents, you know, influenced me, but also the visual aspect of having my brother go through that and being locked up at 17, you know, that made, you know, me a, a little bit more aware of where I can make the mistakes. And, you know, having, uh, for me, anyway, but having my mother tell me, don't be like your brother. Don't do this, this, and, you know, hammering me every day about the things I should do and not, and not do. Uh, and, man, let me tell you, I had a lot of chances to join gangs, to do a lot of bad things. But, uh, I, you know, I always go back to having not only good parents, but martial arts for me was huge growing right. up. I mean, that for me was a great crutch because it taught me balance, uh, not just, you know, in fighting, but in my everyday life, you know, and how to, you know, reach the center of my balance and how to actually understand reality, understand humanity. And um, I always, you know, tell, you know, kids and people that I meet through life who are, you know, trying to find something to do that gets them away from this evil thing here yeah, into totally. some positive. And I'm like, try martial arts. It's yeah. a great escape. And it'll get you back to humanity because you're actually, yeah, you're fighting, but you're, you're actually, talking to people also you know you're away from the phone you're away from technology you're enjoying the moment and you're learning how to like a lot of martial arts is not fighting believe it or not it's avoiding the confrontation avoiding the fights how to you know de-escalate situations and not have to use your fist 
to you know to settle a, a, a dispute or whatever. And I think that's a beautiful thing about martial arts. Uh, but you know, kicking somebody's ass who looks you know for is also you know a wonderful experience to be able to do uh, <laughs> when you can do it. <laughs> right. Uh, but you know, like, like you said, everybody has their own path in life. Uh, but it, it it is something that I, I I think the mindset of the human being when they have that moment of awakeness and they they become self aware of what the reality of life is and that it's when that nail in the coffin hits them and that's when you, you realize okay this is the path I should be on why am I not on this path right it, why am I de- divided from that path. Where I'm going in a direction that leads me to negativity constantly. You had that moment, and you write you write in that ship. Now look at you. You're going to be an author. You're living a great life. Your life is moving forward in a positive direction. You're living a beautiful existence right now. And you know, I look forward to reading the book. Thank you, my friend. I look forward to having you back on after I read the book, and you know, we can talk more about it. Uh, you know, when do you think uh, we're going to have some uh, info on on this uh, great book? I mean, I'm having a conversation on Wednesday with uh, my manager who's pitching it to different publishers. So I'll have more information even then. So I'm really excited about it. You know, one thing I definitely want is for you to keep me informed. I know uh, hopefully we uh, strike a, a beautiful relationship and become good friends over the next yeah. uh, several years. I would love that. Yeah, I'd love to have you back on and really dissect your book. I'm not one of these podcasters that says, yeah, I'll read your book, and then I'll throw it in my uh, bookshelf and never read the thing. I actually like reading. Uh, you know, To me, that's fundamental. And I, I, I used to watch Reading Rainbow as a kid. Awesome. Don't tell anybody that. I, mean, I, I want to promise. <laughs> I have a reputation to keep. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'll definitely go through it, and I, man, I, I definitely want to have you back on. Now, for the audience listening, because I know we're short on time here on the network, uh, for the audience that are watching and listening later on, um, do you have a website that we could give out so they could follow your work? I mean, they can just, uh, I mean, I'm on TikTok is the spiritual revolution. I'm on um, Instagram is the one Michaelis. So, you know, they can just find me there. I post videos on TikTok about it too. And then I've been kind of like pulling back a little bit because I don't want to like give too much away. So I want to get like wait till the book is released where before I start talking about all the concepts. But there's definitely like people have asked me questions and there's a lot of that stuff happening on TikTok, which is cool. It's a great platform. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was hesitant on joining TikTok because, you know, like there's so many people just goofing off and I know. And have, but you know, when you look at it, you're like, Yeah, people are just having fun, you know, like Yeah. You know. For me it's just like another platform to help people. And I've actually wound up yeah. taking people through the AA book because I met them on TikTok, which is cool, you know. Yeah. Um, Any way you can spread the message, my friend. That's you know. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, look, man. I, I don't know what religion you practice, but whatever your God is, God bless you. And again, let's stay friends. And now I, I want to have you back on as soon as possible. You've been yeah. a, just a, a lovely person to talk to. Thank you so much. All right. Have a blessed night. You too, my friend. God bless you. Take care. Bye. That, folks, is the great Michaelis Jacoby. And uh, what an awesome interview with him. Just uh, a lovely, lovely human being. And uh, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that hour and a half. And uh, hopefully, again, we have him on uh, shortly uh, after his book comes out. Uh, the uh, show is ending. Uh, we have uh, maybe a guest 
host coming back to the network in about an hour here or so. Maybe, I don't know, I haven't talked to him, but he said he wanted to start his show back up. And I'm talking about, of course, Unleashed Truth Radio with Mitchell Nicholas Gerber, who said he's uh, coming back either this week or next week to do his show. So if he does, uh, please stick around and take a, a listen to that. Uh, for those who have been tuning in, thank you for being here with me on Inside Jackal's Head. With me, Angel Espino, your host. I have uh, a lot of uh, booking, uh, you know, stuff happening over the next uh, oh month or so. I have my events calendar locked and loaded for the next month, and I have a lot of really cool guests coming up. So, uh, actually, I think the next uh, couple months are, are pretty solid. Uh, coming up, uh, let's see. I, my next guest will be uh, Steve Hodginson or Hodgins Jr., who I met. Actually, this is really cool. Uh, Steve Hodgins, I, I met him at MUFON, uh, the symposium in 2016, uh, where I met, of course, the late Stan Friedman and uh, Kathleen Kennedy and, and, and all these great people. Um, not Kathleen Kennedy. How am I thinking about? Anyway, but uh, Steve uh, Stanton Friedman and uh, a lot of great people that were out there. Alejandro Rojas was out there and... Um, Man, I look forward to having him on, and I want to find out about his little alien, you know, sculpture that he has, which is really cool. But until then, everybody, please stick around on the network. We have a lot more of uh, the content on PSN Radio and, of course, SoFlo Radio. Until next week, with my guest, Steve Hodginson, this is, again, Angel Espino. This has been a two-hour episode of Inside the Jackal's Head. Good night, everybody. Take care. And God bless you all. Peace.